Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. And we will have a message on the topic of biblical fatherhood. Ephesians chapter number 6. I'm afraid that the subject of fatherhood, like the day we celebrate today, is almost completely ignored. Now, I'm not saying Father's Day is completely ignored, and I'm not speaking from a place of resentment. Perhaps the reason Father's Day has less hype than Mother's Day is because simply fathers might care a little bit less about that sort of hoopla. But I want you to consider how much more common it is for there to be a blog about hashtag mom life than for there to be a blog about hashtag dad life. How many mom movies have been made in comparison to how many dad movies have been made? I didn't say bad movies. I said dad movies. Although (laughs) some of them, they might be the same thing. I think in some ways, fatherhood, and even the day today, Father's Day, is ignored because in the right desire to elevate Mother's Day, there's been a devaluing of Father's Day. I would even go so far as to say that maybe one of the reasons that Father's Day is not as rightly valued by our culture is because fathers themselves have undervalued their contribution to their home. Now, while the culture may be underestimating and undervaluing fatherhood, And while fathers at large may be, though I suspect in this room would be a group of people who care much more about fatherhood and value it much more than the culture. I do have good news for you. The Bible certainly does not undervalue fatherhood. The Bible, in a lot of places, addresses the subject of parenting. It talks about the role of mothers and fathers in the life of their children. The Proverbs, especially, have so much wisdom to offer us. But I've discovered something interesting, church family, and you might think about this, that God, on four separate occasions in the New Testament, calls fathers out that I'm aware of There's never a time in the New Testament when the Holy Scripture says, mothers, and then proceeds to give instruction. But on four separate times, one of which is our passage this morning in Ephesians 6, 4, God says and calls out fathers. Now, there could be a lot of reasons for that, right? I would say probably the first reason is probably because if we had to survey the large landscape of mothers and fathers, more often than not, mothers are doing pretty good at their job. Men, this is a good place to nod your head, right? 
That might be why that mothers are never singled out in the New Testament. Conversely, it might be because fatherhood in the first century church was more threatened by the culture and the lives of the culture than motherhood was. Regardless, I think we can do something with that fact. That fatherhood is so important to God that he found it necessary four different times to call fathers out from the crowd and address them directly. And that's why this morning, I feel like it's appropriate for me as a pastor to do the same thing. The reality is, is that there is, I mean, if you survey everyone in this congregation, the amount of people in this room with kids in the home as fathers is quite small, right? Um, but the reality is that though there may be very few who are raising kids still, that this message, I believe, firmly applies to everybody in this room. And I know the temptation could be on Father's Day to tune out because maybe this message doesn't apply to you. But I wanna give you a couple things to think about if you're not a father or if you're not a father with kids in the home, why you need to listen to this message on fatherhood. And I'm gonna hit everybody in this room. Well, first of all, if you're a father, I think it's obvious you, you probably need to listen to what God's word has to say to you. But maybe if you're not a father, all of you, if you're a Christian, you have a father that may be your best friend, your son, your son-in-law, or even your spouse, ladies. And because of your close relation to them, as a Christian, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, God may intend for you, by the Holy Spirit, to speak the truth in love to that father in your life and remind them biblically of their role in the home. And if you are going to speak the truth about fatherhood to a father who needs it, you need to know what the Bible says about fatherhood. If you're a church member this morning, you need to listen to this message. Because as God has ordered the structure of the church, he's given the church two different offices is the term we use for them. One is an office of authority and one is an office of service, pastor and deacon. And as a church member, if you look at 1 Timothy 3, you are specifically called to examine the fatherhood of those who would be a deacon or a pastor in your church if they happen to have kids. I don't think that means they have to have children, but if they do, the Bible calls us to examine their fatherly leadership. You may not have kids yourself, but if you are voting for a pastor or deacon, you are called to examine that, and you cannot make an accurate judgment of who's qualified to be a deacon or a pastor if you don't know what the Bible says about fatherhood. Ladies, if you're not yet married and intend to one day marry somebody, I would encourage you strongly that you should listen to this message about biblical fatherhood because you would save yourself a lot of heartache by marrying somebody who you can see developing into this role in this form of being a biblical father. And as somebody who's just a couple years into that process, I could tell you that the form of being a biblical father is 
much more profound than just taking the form of the infamous dad bod. There's a lot more to it, being a father. And so ladies, I'd encourage you to listen this morning to make sure that you're ready to marry a man who could be a biblical father. And men, if you're not yet a father, but maybe someday you think God might allow you to be one, you should listen well to this message because I found that fatherhood was not something God waited to form in me after I had a child. God has been working to form me into a father since the day I accepted Jesus and his heavenly father. This morning's passage is gonna break down into two sections. The message, rather. I want you to see from this verse two assumptions about fatherhood. Two assumptions. And then I want you to see two commands about fatherhood. Let's look at Ephesians 6, 4. And I want to read it aloud this morning. Ephesians 6, 4 says this. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I said that this passage contains two assumptions about fatherhood. I'm going to give you the first one. I want to show you how, if you look at the broader context, this assumption is very clear. Here's the first assumption about fatherhood. You are accountable to God for your fathering. Men, you are accountable to God for the way you father your children. I want you to see that in the context of this passage. You are accountable to God for your fathering. Look at the context in every, in this passage, in Ephesians 5 and 6, Paul is giving instructions to different roles in society. He's showing them that if they're submitted to the spirit of God, it's going to affect them in every way of their life. So he starts off in the marital relationship in Ephesians 5, verse 22. And I want you to see that he says, wives do their wifely duty as unto the Lord. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 22. He says, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. And we don't have time to cover what that means and what it doesn't mean. But nonetheless, I want you to see, for wives, he says, God's watching how you live out your wifely role. Then in verse 23, the implication there, as he talks about this authority structure in the home, he compares it to the church's relationship to Christ. And the implication in verse 23 is that husbands are accountable to Christ for the way they love their wife. And, and that is echoed again just a couple verses down um, in verse 25, when he says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. So wives submit to, their submit to the Lord. Their wifely duty is done unto the Lord. Husbands, their husbandly duty is done under the watching eye of God. And then he keeps going further. Look at verse number one. He's starting to talk to kids, children, obey your parents. And what's the next verse? Next words in the Lord. 
Children, their responsibility, their parents is watched over by God. Verse number five, he says, servants, be obedient to your masters according to the flesh. Look at the end of verse number five, as unto Christ. Verse number nine, he's not talking to servants. Now he's talking to the bosses, the masters. And he says, masters, he says, you need to do certain things to your servants. Look at the middle of verse nine, knowing that your master also is in heaven. So in all of these roles, Paul is reemphasizing that the way you carry out your role in society is accountable to God. And the same is true for fathers in chapter six, verse number four. Look how it says, bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Fathers, this is why you must listen to what the word of God has to say to you today. Because there will be a day as a father, you will be held accountable for how you lived in light of this passage. Wives and husbands and children and servants and master will all one day give an account to their submission to the instructions they were given from their heavenly father and their heavenly master. And the same is true for you men. Nothing else I say today matters if we don't all come to an agreement this morning that, that someday at the judgment seat, the very words we read in Ephesians 6, 4 might be read back to us, ringing in our ears. The standard by which, men, you will be judged by God. And as your pastor, literally, the Bible says that my job is to help you and push you to have a, a joyful encounter with God on the day of judgment. Now, a lot of pastors don't really talk about it like that, but the reality exists that you could do your job so well as a father in submission to Christ, doing the best you can, not perfectly, but the best you can, that it can happen, men, if you work at it and you depend on the spirit, it could be a day of joy when you meet your heavenly father and he holds you accountable for your earthly fathering. There will be a day you will be held accountable by God for the way you conducted yourself as an earthly father. Men, 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 listen. This is a serious, serious matter. We must take heed to what God says today. That's the first assumption. The second assumption is this, that fathers should take a primary an active role in the home, not a passive one. I'm gonna say that again. Fathers should take a primary and active role in the home and not a passive one. Pastor Mike, where do you get that? Well, I get that from the fact that Paul is well aware that there's more than one parent in the home, right? Look at verse number one. Children, obey your parents, plural, in the Lord. Verse number two, honor your father and your mother. Paul didn't just forget mothers existed, all right? Mothers are important. You should have been here a month ago if you don't believe me when I say that. But when Paul is writing, he seems to address, when it comes to the parenting role, one of them. Now, I'm not saying that fathers are more important. I am saying that fathers are not meant to be a backseat driver in the home. 
Their role as a father should be primary and should be active. And that is evidenced by the fact that the apostle Paul seemed it right to call them out and not to address the mother when it came to parenting, but to address the father. Now, why does he do that? Again, I don't know, other than the fact that clearly father's supposed to have an important role in the home. I think here's why. Why would Paul call out the fathers and not the mothers? Perhaps because Paul realized that the first link to fail in a family's chain is usually the father. Too often, fathers play a role like extras do in a movie. There's background motion, but no contribution to the storyline. I've observed this a lot pastorally, not necessarily just here, but in in my life, even in my own home growing up, that in far more cases, there is an imperfect mother working really hard to raise her kids to love God despite a passive and uninvolved father. I would say it's far more rare to see that the mother is holding the kids back from learning to love Jesus. I've met far more men who want to have an active role in the provision of their families, but not in the parenting of them. They're more concerned about making as much money as their wife, but not so concerned as who spends more time teaching their kids. Men, consider this. In all the other audiences I addressed earlier, the role of men in their families is so important that God honored that role by giving us his own title, father. Men, we are not more important than our wives, but God has called us to be the governors and the guides of our families. And the way you lead your home, men, has far-reaching implications that you probably are blind to. I love what Vadi Baucom says in his book, Family Shepherds. It's a great book. I've read it. You should too. He says this, and you might listen, and he, he really articulates the, the consequences that hang in the balance based on whether a father lives up to biblical fatherhood or not. He says, over the past several years, I've thought, written, taught, and labored long and hard over the issue of male leadership in the home. I've watched families crumble under the weight of paternal neglect. I've seen young men wander aimlessly, looking for answers their father should have given them in both word and deed. I've grieved with Christian women who've grown weary of begging God to make their husbands the spiritual leaders of their home. And I've also seen men wake up to the responsibility and privilege of being their family's shepherd. I've watched households transform quickly as fathers take the helm and begin to lead and disciple their wives and children. I've seen marriages healed as husbands begin to take seriously their duty to love their wives as Christ loved the church and to raise their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Men, if you desire to take the active and primary role God wants you to have. I hope that right now this question is burning in your heart. How do I lead my family? 
What is God's job description for me? Paul gives us, men, fathers, two commands. Here's the first one. Don't stir up resentment because of your parenting. There's a don't command and there's a do command. The first one's a don't. Don't stir up resentment because your parents. Look back at Ephesians chapter six, verse number four. He says, ye fathers, provoke not your children to what? Wrath. Now, when you and I think of wrath, we think of the short-term angry outburst of a child. But parents, there is something far more fearful than the dreaded temper tantrum. It's the long-term resentment children have to parents who don't do their job. Far more worse than a temper tantrum. When Paul says don't provoke your children to wrath, he probably has that short-term temper tantrum in view, but Paul, I think, the, the way that the word is used in the original language, it's more talking about a simmering resentment that men, in particular, he seems to think, provoke. Isn't it interesting, church, that Paul doesn't say, children, don't get wrathful at your parents? That's what I tell my kids all the time. But he seems to say that though kids are responsible for their own actions, obviously, that there is a possibility that as parents, we can be the ones creating, stirring, stoking resentment in our children by our own parenting, right? So instead of saying, children, don't get angry with your parents, Paul says, dad, don't do stuff that makes your kids become angry and resentful. Fathers, God warns you not to treat your children in such a way that they will become angry or embittered. And I love what Colossians 3 says. It's the same type of idea, but Paul words it this way. Don't provoke your children lest they be discouraged. Now, this could happen in a lot of different ways. I've seen fathers stir up resentment because of their overly harsh discipline toward their children. I have a feeling that might be what Paul's primary thought he had in his mind was, given the culture. Now, I'll just lay my cards on the table. I happen to believe, contrary to modern parenting philosophy, what the Bible says, that there is a place for physical correction in the home. But I'll also say this, there are a few right ways to do that and a thousand wrong ways to do that. And unfortunately, there are so many who do it wrong. I've seen dads, and unfortunately once or twice, bend the dad who screams at their children. Dads who throw them across the room, smack them, shove them as if they're fighting a man in a bar. Men, that approach may be reflective of your earthly father's discipline, but I don't think it's a good reflection of how a heavenly father disciplines his children. Your discipline of your children, men, should reflect that you are in control of your own emotions. Not out of control. 
I think so many people are cautious about discipline because most of the discipline they've seen is people who are out of control. But I can tell you as a child that though I never liked corporal punishment from my parents, I was always very aware when my dad was acting out of anger and unleashing his emotions on me and when he was acting in love and self-control. It was very obvious to me as a child. And I think your children know the difference too. Men sometimes create resentment by their hypocritical leadership. How many kids do you know, grown kids, who are resentful of their father because of his obvious hypocrisy? Maybe because they heard their dad or their mom say something like this, do as I say, not as I do. Now, parents, I, I, have, I have news for you. Do as I say, not as I do is not a recipe for parenting success. It doesn't work. And so many kids have been provoked to wrath, men, by being raised in a Christian home that never prayed, but yet their dad would stand in church and act as though he's prayed all week. They never studied a Bible together. Their parents didn't live out Ephesians 5 or 6, and they rarely talked about leadership, and they saw the obvious double picture reflected by their parents one way at church and one way at the home. A fast track to creating resentment in your kids towards Jesus is hypocritical leadership. Third way I've seen men stir up resentment is through insensitivity. How many times as a father of three girls I've been guilty of this? You know, the beauty of children is their tenderness, isn't it? Their moldability. It allows them to be formed and molded and discipled. But men, that gift in your children comes with a label. Fragile. Handle with care. But so often the harsh words of a father create long-term impacts on their children. They have children who grow up with insecurity, with fear, because of the demeaning and harsh words of their father. God is warning us, men, be careful not to stir up resentment in your children. Your parenting can do a lot of good, but it can also cause great harm. It's a powerful responsibility, men. We must wield well. But God doesn't just tell us what not to do. He tells us what to do. He says, don't stir up resentment, but then the second command of the passage is do bring your children up with God's discipline and God's instruction. The first word he uses there, look back at verse number five. He says, bring them up in the nurture of the Lord. What is that word nurture? Well, it's not quite what you might think it is on first hand. In, in Paul's original day, the word he used was a word that almost has the similar idea as a dojo. You know what a dojo is, right? You ever watch the samurai movie? It's those training, you know, schools of instruction that they would bring kids up to learn a, a certain uh, a life skill, like a mixed martial, uh, a martial art or something like that. It was a dojo, right? 
It's a, an academy, so to speak. The word that Paul's using there is maybe the Greek word they would have used for like an academy where you send your kids off and, and they're brought up in a very orderly and structured environment to learn a certain skill. And Paul says, I want you to bring your kids up in the discipline of the Lord. That's what nurture means. In fact, that word nurture is translated in Hebrews to be chastening. So you get the idea that this is not like petting a cuddly bird. It's, it's bringing structure and order and environment to your child. That's what Paul is saying. He says, I want you fathers to bring your children up with God's discipline. Here's the reality. I think Paul is saying this, that fathers set the tone of their home. I'm gonna say that again. Fathers, you set the tone of your home, but you ought to get your tone from your heavenly father. Bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Men, if you're gonna set the tone of your home, ask yourself, how does God discipline his children? Does God provide structure and orderliness to his created world? Yes or no? Well, yeah. Does God affirm wrongdoing or does he fairly and justly punish it? then fathers, you must do the same. You must discipline and order your home the same way the heavenly father orders his home. But the truth is so many fathers create an undisciplined and unstructured home because they themselves are undisciplined people. I've observed this, that the father is often the cause for a lack of discipline because he himself doesn't have to deal with the consequences. He's not around the kids as much because of work or whatever. And so he doesn't have to deal with it when they're not disciplined well. Truthfully, for many fathers, they're rarely the ones doing proper discipline. They either ignore it completely or overdo it and both are a sin against God. Men, I want you to think about this. What will our heavenly home and glory be like? Will it be a place of order or disorder? Chaos or containment? Disobedience or discipline? Well, the truth of the matter is our heavenly home will be all of the good versions of what I just said because our heavenly home will be a product of a heavenly father. And as an earthly father who's supposed to reflect the heavenly father, listen, an earthly father who reflects their heavenly father will have an earthly home that reflects their heavenly home. I'm gonna say that again. An earthly father who reflects their heavenly father will have an earthly home that reflects their heavenly home. Now, some of you are like, my home does not reflect heaven. Hey, join the club, all right? It ain't heaven, but it should be a picture of it. When there's a man at the helm who leads like his heavenly father. So Paul says, bring your children up in the discipline of the Lord, the nurture of the Lord. But then he, he uses another word, doesn't he? Look down at verse number four. He says, bring them up in the nurture and the what? $5 word, admonition. The instruction of the Lord. Now I found that for whatever reason in our culture, women are a lot quicker to be the teacher of their children than the fathers are. 
What's interesting to me is I'm reading through the Old Testament, my devotions with my wife, and there's several times when God does something very tangible. And what does he say when they cross the River Jordan? He says, I want you to set up this memorial so that when your children ask their mothers, no. He says when they ask their fathers, that there's always this assumption from the Bible, not that mothers don't teach. Oh, Lord bless us all if the mothers stopped teaching and their children tomorrow, we'd all be done for. But there's an assumption in the Bible that fathers ought to be a primary teacher in the home, that the father is there to give heavenly instruction, the instruction of the Lord. It's the idea, this word admonition, it's got two senses to it. God's teachings and God's warnings. Some of us men were heavy on one side or the other. But nonetheless, God intends for the father to be the primary instructor of God's ways to his children. Men, ask yourselves this question. Based on your habits right now, who would your children say was their primary instructor of God's teachings? Who would they say was the person who taught them the gospel most faithfully? Who would they say was the one who taught them to fear God, not just by their example, but by their words? Men, though our culture may disagree, teaching your children the word of God is the manliest thing you can do. Men, fathers, I want to challenge you, even grandfathers, to take a more active and primary role in giving God's instruction to your children and grandchildren. You lead prayer. You say, let's go to church. You be the one that gives your kids the hard talks about sexuality as they grow up. You be the one that pulls out a Bible or a Bible book and reads it to your Children, you be the one who is always pointing your kids back to Christ. You may have an A-plus wife playing that role well. Praise God. But you step in there too. A strong wife who teaches her children is not an excuse for a weak husband who sits on the bench. Men, be the primary instructors of the instruction of the Lord in your home. God has called you to it. It is your role. It is your job description. Embrace it and live it with the help of Jesus Christ. But here's the reality. You cannot bring your children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord unless you know the Lord yourself. We cannot teach a subject, men, we are unfamiliar with. We cannot lead our families down a path we have not first traveled. Men, I wonder if the call of biblical fatherhood doesn't work for you, perhaps because you don't know the heavenly father. You must know him through his son, Jesus Christ. You cannot 
exert biblical fatherhood without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by repenting of your sins and believing in his perfect sacrifice. But men, the reality is this. You must first walk in the ways of the Lord if you're gonna effectively bring your children along in the ways of the Lord. You must live a life of discipline in the Lord if you wanna create a home of discipline in the Lord. Men, perhaps the greatest contribution to your manliness is not buying a new pellet grill or getting a sweet beard that I can't grow and I'm jealous of, but cracking open your Bible tomorrow and reading it. Because when you read the Bible, the picture of manliness has literally nothing to do with your hobbies or your habits. Whether you can grill, and some of you are glad whether you can. But it has everything to do with the way you walk with God and lead your family to do the same. If we want to be biblical fathers, there's two assumptions the Bible makes. And those two assumptions are clear in our passage. You will give an account to God for your fathering. And number two, you are fathering in the presence of God. Men, God is watching your every move. When you sit out, God sees. And God gives you two commands, men. Don't stir up resentment in your children and do bring them up in God's discipline and in his instruction. Men, we have such an honor because for some strange reason, God chose to give us his own title. God did not hijack the word father and allocate it to himself. He was the original father and he gave it to us. And here's the, the solemn responsibility that comes with that. Your kids' view of God, God, will be profoundly shaped by the way you carry yourself. For better or for worse. In you, they could see a father who loves them so much, despite their every flaw. But he loves them too much to let them be their unshaped selves. And so he prioritizes their discipline and their instruction. In you, they could see a father who lovingly puts down boundaries that are not too restrictive, but are good for their own souls and keep them in the good pastures. In the same way that our same heavenly father and shepherd does for us. I think the seriousness of this passage deserves 
a moment of prayer and silence from all of us, doesn't it? Men, that we would pray and ask for God's help to live this out. Grandfathers, that you would, as you have moments of influence with your children, you would not check out of the fatherly role you play, though it's different as a grandfather. Those of you who know a father and who is a Christian and you yourself are a Christian, if God would give you moments to prod them along the way of righteousness. And those of you who one day might need to marry a godly man who hopefully will be a biblical father, you have much to pray about this morning as well. So let's spend just a moment in prayer together. A moment of silence, and then I'll end it with a moment of prayer. Let's reflect on what God has said to us through his word this morning.